Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. I want to preach a message. I say real quickly, but I also know that you ain't got nowhere to be for like another 36 hours. So I might take my time. So, um, so John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. There's, there's probably people in this room who have heard me preach this message before. This is one of my life messages. And I preach it about once every two years. And if you've heard it before, you need to hear it again and just be refreshed. If you've never heard it before, then praise God. This is one of my life messages. This is one message I have to come back around to. There's probably four or five messages that i got to come back around to periodically just because they're a staple message. This is one of them. This is the story of Lazarus. Everybody remember that story? Lazarus died. Jesus came and rose him, resurrected him from the dead. So I want to preach this this morning. I want you to pay close attention. And if you heard some of this stuff before, well, that means you already know. And you can just amen even louder. I'm going to pray a prayer to get us into the word, and we're going to dive in head first. Father, we're grateful for the word. Father, there's more than just Chester at this church that's grateful for the word. Oh, there you are. Father, we're grateful for the word. As Jim said, it's life. So we, we, uh, we eat of the word of life this morning, and may it be life to our spirit, man. As we put this word into our, into our spirit and we digest it, may it be more than just a snack, but may it produce life to our spirit, man. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Now, a certain man was sick. This man's name is Lazarus of Bethany. Everybody say of Bethany. Bethany. Jesus is not at Bethany. Bethany is about 15 to 20 miles away. Uh, it would have deemed one day's journey. I am kind of a fluffy individual. See, y'all didn't say amen that time. <laughs> and so, uh, in other words, I'm not the most athletic guy in the room, but I can walk 15 miles in a day. I can walk 15 miles in half a day. I can walk 20 miles in half a day. It doesn't take that long to walk 15 to 20 miles. I bring this up because the location of this story is important. Okay. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So Mary and Martha, these sisters, and Lazarus, and they are Jesus' BFFs. Okay? Now, verse 2. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sister sent word to him, saying, Lord... Behold, he whom you love. Everybody say love. love. He whom you love is sick. John, the writer of this gospel, makes it a point twice at the beginning of this story to point out the fact that this was not a casual relationship between Jesus, Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus. That these were deeply close people that Jesus loved. And he makes this point twice to reiterate the idea that this, this wasn't just strangers, this wasn't a casual relationship. Jesus was invested into these people. That makes sense? Because Jesus is going to act in a way that you would question, well, if you loved them, why did you act this way? Because this isn't, so John's reiterating the idea that this is not a love issue. We're going to get to what kind of issue it is. It's not a love issue. Jesus loves these people very much. And so uh, when Martha sent, uh, Mary sent word, Lord, he whom you love is sick. But the word but is, is weird right there, right? I've seen so many people in this room, like when somebody's sick, like you stop what you're doing and you run to their aid. Make sense? If somebody, you know, like, like having an emergency, this, was, this wasn't just a nominal sickness. He didn't have, you know, a cold. This man was sick to the point he was about to die. 
And most of us, like our human reaction, right? Our natural reaction is when somebody's going through something, we drop everything we do and we just go to that situation and do what we can to help and do what we can to bring a solution. But the word the the Bible uses here is but. He heard this news, but he did something that was not what you would normally do. Does that make sense? So when he heard that, when Jesus heard this, he said this sickness. First thing, uh, there's this law in the Bible called the law of first mention. And in any story or in in the concept of doctrine, the first time it's mentioned, it kind of holds through. It has a heavy weight throughout the rest of the story or the rest of the scriptures. So uh, the idea of like the first words out of Jesus' mouth about this situation is is an absolute fact about what's about to happen. Are with me? This sickness is not to end in death. Lazarus, has, uh, his sisters have sent word to Jesus. Jesus, the one, you love is, the one that you love is sick. Jesus' first statement is not, oh, that's terrible. It's not, oh, man, I hope he takes some Robitussin, right? No, his first statement, the very first word out of his mouth, this man will not die. He, this will not end in death. That makes sense? So everybody look right here. Sickness is not to end in death, but for glory. Everybody say glory. glory. The sickness will not end in death, but for the glory of God. Jesus in another story, there's, there's this, I think I'm, I'm, I believe it was a boy that was blind. And the disciples kind of asked, these people come up to Jesus and they say, who sinned? The Pharisees come up to Jesus, who sinned? His mama or his daddy, this boy would be born blind. Jesus said, this ain't, about, this ain't about death and blindness. This is for the glory of God to be revealed. The sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified from it. This sounds weird to say because it sounds egotistical and all that kind of stuff, but Jesus is literally saying, this will not end in death. This whole situation is about to glorify the Son, me. This whole situation is about to glorify me. I'm about to do something that everybody goes, whoa. And they still talk about it 2,000 years later. So, Verse uh, 5, Jesus, the second time that the, the author of this story, John, decides to reiterate the fact that this is not a nominal relationship. These people are loved by Jesus. That makes sense? Here's the thing. Look at me. I'm going to say something that sounds shocking, okay? Look right here. Everybody look right here. We're so programmed in our church going kind of relationship to God that we're to view everything through the lens of love while Jesus is viewing this situation through the lens of glory. Because what he's about to do seems unloving. What he's about to do seems like, no, if you loved him, you would have dropped everything and ran him at that moment. But this isn't, que- this isn't a story designed to question love. This is a story designed to display glory. And sometimes you're, go- <clears throat> sometimes you're going through situations in your life and you go, God, this doesn't feel like you love me very much right now. Doesn't f- I don't feel like that you're, that you're doing something that's loving. But, I, but, but God's not thinking about love. He's thinking about glory. How can I take this situation in your life and how can I produce the most glory out of it? We're trained to be love conscious, not glory conscious. God's absolutely glory conscious. Doesn't make him unloving. Don't don't, don't forget me wrong. But he's absolutely, the, the highest thing in his order, in his mind, is that the Son of God is glorified. That makes sense? Unless the sun be lifted up and to all men, right? It's, it's the glory. The chief end of man is to what? Glorify God. So God is glory conscious. 
I'm not going to say before, God is glory conscious, where we're mostly love conscious. We, we tend to approach our relationship to God with, do you love me or do you not love me? Did I do something to make you not love me right now, or do I'm doing something to make you love me? It's, it's oh, are we accepted? Not, it's, it's, that's not it. Really, our relationship to God be, is, is the idea of, you're to be glorified. What can I do to make that happen? Amen. How can I help you be glorified, right? So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John needs to reiterate this, reiterate this idea because if you read the story from our perspective, you're going, man, that doesn't, that doesn't, that's not the actions of somebody who's super loving. Does that make sense? So let's go to verse 6. So when he heard that he was sick, he dropped everything and ran 15 miles to where he was. Is that what it says? No, Jesus does stuff that makes you go, hmm, all the time. So when he heard he was sick, he stayed where he was, one day's journey away, 15 miles away, for two more days. I don't know if y'all figured this out yet. Jesus doesn't make sense. (laughs) Somebody say amen. amen. He doesn't always do what seems logical to my mind. But everything he does do will come about in glory if we will stay faithful and keep believing. Don't stop. Okay, y'all stop that now. Okay. Verse 7. So then after this, after two days with another day of, of walking ahead, three days total, after this, he said to the disciples, there's the first set of the story. The first, the part A of the story is Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus, who is sick. We all know he dies. And that's the first part of the story. Now enter the second part of the story, the disciples. Everybody say, I am a disciple. <laughs> the disciples. These men are full of faith and power and courage. Just like us. Amen? So after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Judea, uh, they'd been to Judea before. Last time they was in Judea, it didn't go so well. They were ran out of the city with rocks thrown at them. So the disciples are a bit hesitant. Now, let's see what this, let's, let's read right here. Verse 9. Verse 9. The disciples said to him, verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you want to go back? Jesus doesn't make sense. Jesus says, let's go back to the place where they were throwing rocks at us. Verse 9. Jesus answered and said, I love this. I've always kind of wondered what this meant. And the more I study and the more I focus on this, I think, it, I think this is what it means. Jesus says this kind of off-the-wall thing. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. Verse, verse 10, but if he walks in the night, he stumbles because the light's not in him. I think this is what Jesus says. We're walking right up back in there in the middle of the day where everybody can see us and we can see everybody. We're not going in cover of night. We're not like those, the writer of Hebrews says, who shrink back. But we're going to walk right up in there in the middle of the, the, middle of the day where everybody can see us. Because, listen, look at me. Because the point is that everybody sees what's about to happen. That makes sense? This is why we don't do covert Christianity. Because if we do everything in hiding, then the part of the problem is, is glory itself, the idea of glory itself, that it is light that shines and is to be seen. That makes sense? That's why glory belongs to God. So, there go, and the disciples, verse, I love this, verse 11. He said that, uh, this he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Uh, Rayleigh and I were talking about this this morning. Uh, he has fallen asleep, but I go that I can wake him up. And the disciples, I'm kind of paraphrasing the next verse, says, uh, just keep on going with me. But Jesus, if he sleeps, he'll get better. 
you know, let's not disturb him. He's sleeping. How many of y'all, when you're sick, you like to sleep it off, right? And if you don't want people calling you and texting you and, and all that kind of stuff, you just want to be left alone so you can sleep, right? Except I do want Missy to come tend on me. But other than that, I want to be left alone. And so you want to sleep. And so if he sleeps, uh, he'll get better. And then the disciples needed what Chester often needs. Jesus had talked plainly to him. Amen. How, many, how many are there with me? Okay. Jesus says he's sleeping and they're like, well, if he sleeps, he'll be better. And Jesus says, <clears throat> focus. Look right here. Lazarus, I love, I love the scripture even says, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, time out a second. This is verse 14. If we go back to verse 1, don't do it. If we go back to verse 1 in the beginning of the story, about verse 2 or 3, Jesus makes this statement. Look at me. This sickness will not end in death. Is it going to end in death? Real easy for us to say that from this side of the story. But if you're standing in the middle of the story, and Jesus said he wouldn't die, but now he's dead, your, your battle is to believe Jesus even when your eyes tell you Jesus is wrong. Your battle is to believe what he says even though what you see is opposite of what he says. Real easy to preach, real easy to amen, real easy to clap, very hard to do. But for those who can, Lazarus is dead, Jesus said to them plainly. This next sentence blows my mind. This next sentence blows my mind. And I am glad for your sakes. This is Jesus talking real plainly. Lazarus is dead and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Everybody look right here. The story starts off with them sending to get Jesus to make him there. Go get Jesus, bring him here. And Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there. That doesn't sound loving. Does it? Doesn't sound loving. Sounds the opposite of loving. Jesus isn't thinking on terms of love. He's thinking on terms of glory. Now, the scary part of this sermon is everybody wants God to love us in the way that we think love is defined, which is, if you love me, you're not going to let anything bad happen to me. So we can either be there for his loving or we can be there for the use of his glory. And whatever brings him glory, see, if we say the idea of my life for your glory, that may cause you to go give your life to do something you don't want to do, like missions across the world, right? Remember, refer to my... Uh, Sermon last week when I talked about the Moravian missionaries. Like, does your life meant to be, is the chief end of your life to be loved by God in the way that you define love, or is your chief end of your life to, to glorify God? And whatever happens in your life that brings glory to God, then so be it. This is big boy stuff, isn't it? So Jesus says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that this situation will produce inside of you belief. That word believe is a big word. When we get to verse 42, this is a big word. I'm doing something that's going to, from this day forward, after this Lazarus situation, you'll never deny what you believe about me again. I mean, some of you will deny me at the cross, but am I able to take dead things and make them alive? Make sense? I'm building in you belief. How many of you have ever gone through something extremely, extremely difficult? Yeah, everybody across the room got their hand up. This is the one thing, even though we would never wish to go through that or wish to go through it again, the one thing we, can, we would never want to trade in after the fact is that how I believe in him now is different than how I believed in him before then. Because if the situation, even though it wasn't pleasant, even though it was hard, even though it was gut-wrenching, it produced in me some glory that caused some belief. That makes sense? 
I'm glad for your sakes I was not there so you may believe, but let's go to him. Therefore, Thomas, oh, Thomas, oh, Thomas, what's his, what's his nickname? Yeah, doubting. yeah, doubting Thomas. Thomas is not very brave. Uh, not sure I, I'm not sure I would be real brave either. Come here, Devin. Hurry up, hurry up, Devin. This is not, if, if, if this is Jesus and everywhere he goes, people get mad at him and throw rocks at him, okay? And I'm his, one of his right-hand men. Half of me is concerned for him, right? The disciples had some legitimate concern. Jesus, we don't want anything bad to happen to you. The other half is if I'm close to him, people aren't really good shots, so the rocks flying at him, if they miss, they hit me. In other words, to be associated with him is to put myself in immediate danger. Which is another oxymoron in our modern Christianity is Jesus isn't necessarily always safe. All right, you can sit down, Jesus. Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, unfortunate name, said to his fellow disciples, <laughs> I mean, this dude, Jesus, this man, Jesus, is in himself building up faith to go raise the dead. And he's got 12 men who are supposed to be men of faith and power. And their concept is this. Let's go with him so that at least we can die with him too. Here's the thing I want to point out. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and these 12 disciples, look at me, other than his mother, these are the 15 people in the world who know him better than anybody else. The 15 people in the world who know him better than anybody else, and they're scared to walk the road he walks. So the question this morning is, how well do we know him? How many of y'all been walking with Jesus for a long time? How well do we know him? How convinced are we that what he has for us is for his glory? You understand what I'm saying? Didymus, Thomas, let us also go so that we may die with him. So this is the story. Jesus is walking down the road on day three, a day's journey, 15 to 20 miles. And he's walking and he's got 12 guys behind him. And they're walking with him, but they're looking everywhere like they're paranoid the whole time. Like is there an ambush about to happen? They're, you know, they're real stealthy and sneaky and they're trying, I mean, he doesn't have this entourage walking into Judea again of this strong, faith-filled, powerhouse gospel preachers. No, it's Jesus and some scaredy cats. Right? Right? When Jesus came, he found that uh, really the day that they called was the day he needed to be there. Because at this time, he's been dead for four days in a tomb. So Jesus, who loved these people, he should have went immediately, right? And so when he didn't come immediately, and he comes walking down the road four days later, and they tell the sisters, hey, Jesus is coming, them sisters ain't happy. Y'all ever been face-to-face -face with a mad woman? <laughs> Well, that preached itself pretty good there, didn't it? <laughs> That's all I got to say about that. All right. <laughs> so Jesus came and found that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Next verse, verse 19, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha. These people, everybody say many Jews. These were literally a custom that they had in Israel where they would pay people to be mourners. So they would pay this group of people to come to the death and they would give them money to wail and cry. Again, 
I'm saying Jesus is walking into this situation where he needs to have the faith inside of his heart to resurrect the dead. He's surrounded by people who are afraid for their lives and all he can hear is the sound of wailing and mourners by people who are fake crying because they're paid to do so. This isn't the perfect atmosphere. This isn't Sunday morning at Church at the Armory. So many of the Jews had come to Mary, Mary therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, she, she ran to meet him, and Mary stayed at the house. Martha did. Back to verse. Martha then said to Jesus. Now, see, it depends on how you want to read this. <laughs> depends on how you want to read this. You can read it like this. You can read it like, like this. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I seriously thought that's how it went. Martha (laughs) sees him about 50 yards away. Jesus! Am I wrong? How many of y'all, if y'all are Martha, y'all going up him in in your King James Version only English and like, thou father, if you would have been here, right? Nobody's talking about Jesus. You've got attitude. Jesus, where were you? I called for you four days ago and you're not here. Where were you? What must have been so important that you couldn't walk the two miles from Bethany to Judea to get here? My brother's dead and you weren't there. Anybody ever been there before? Raise your hand. Okay, that's how the, the sisters approached him. Verse 22. Even now I know... In the middle of that, she has this moment of faith. This is why you need to be in church every Sunday in the Word. Because in the middle of your chaos, little moments of faith will break through. If you're keeping yourself fed and keeping yourself built up in the Holy Ghost, right? Even now I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And when when she said that, Jesus goes, He's got 12 men who are hiding in the bushes right now. Mourners everywhere crying and wailing. And she's heard one woman with a statement of faith and inside of his spirit. He went, oh, right? He's like, okay, this is what I'm after. And, 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 uh, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I don't think Jesus said it like, thou us brother. Right? Jesus like, I mean, something rose up in him. Yeah! Yes, what you just said. Your brother will rise again. And then she responds to revelation from Jesus Christ with her good theology and good doctrine. I'm all about good theology and good doctrine. But she says, because in her mind, the resurrection is an event. But the resurrection is a man who's standing right in front of her. Martha said, and she's not wrong, this is really good theology. I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day, and that's going to happen. But see, she's got the resurrection as an event in time when the truest Jesus said, I don't remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, I am the resurrection. How many of us church people, we'll, we, can, we can slide our trials into decent theology to make ourselves coax through a situation and help us handle how we get the good theology. But really what we need is the revelation of the man Jesus Christ himself. This whole day is about putting our hearts right smack dab center in the heart of Jesus again. It's all about you. Jesus said to her, What you seek is me. I am the resurrection and the life. Right, Jim? He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Life in the kingdom and for the glory is eternal. Verse 26 Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he, this is the second time he's brought up this word believe. And look at me. This is what Jesus is asking all of us this morning. Do you believe this? 
do you believe me is what he's saying. Do you believe that if you put your faith in me, life and you'll never die? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Hey, Martha gets a bad rap, doesn't she? Martha gets the bad rap in Scripture being the, the, the lady who wouldn't stop working all the time. But Martha's got some of the greatest faith statements found in the Bible. Maybe we should give Martha a break. Anyway, verse 28, when she said this, she went away and called Mary. Mary's the one who sits at his feet. Right? That's how, how does Mary approach? So Mary comes in. Uh, verse, the teacher's here. He's calling for you. Verse 29. When she heard this, she got up quickly and was coming to him. That meant she ran. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha met him. Imagine this. The disciples are hiding in the bushes. All they can hear is the sound of wailing. They've already had one angry sister come, but she kind of left pretty okay. And now you've got a second angry sister coming your way. All right, this is a difficult situation. Everybody say amen. All right, and so the Jews were with her. This time she didn't come by herself. When Mary got up and ran out of the house, all the mourners ran after her. So you got this whole entourage coming toward Jesus and wailing and, and screaming and crying. And Jesus is in there going, here we go, round two. Right? So they're consoling her. When, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him, fell at his feet, and said, Jesus! Right? <laughs> if you would have been here, where were you? We've all prayed this prayer. We've all prayed this prayer. Where were you? If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And the shortest verse, uh, he's, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. This is my opinion on this verse. People have different opinions. This is my opinion. My opinion is Jesus is not weeping because he's sad for the death. He's not weeping because he's sad for Mary. He's not weeping because he's sad for Martha. He's not weeping because he's sad for the, for the loss of Lazarus. My opinion, Chester's opinion, had to be your opinion. Jesus already knows what's going to happen. He said it, the very first thing he said about this situation is it will not end in death. Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows he's going there for a purpose. He knows he's going there for a reason. He knows he's going to raise this man from the dead. Jesus is weeping and grieved in his spirit because the 15 people on the planet who should know him the best still don't get who he is. Yeah. It is breaking his heart. You saw me stop a funeral procession and raise a boy out of a casket and you don't think I can raise this man out of the grave? You saw me, you saw me uh, take a lame man who couldn't have somebody throw him into the, to the, the pool of Bethesda fast enough. And you saw me tell him to pick up his mat and walk for the first time in nearly 40 years. And you don't understand who I am. You've seen me do this and this and this and this. And after all these things, there's still unbelief in your heart. This is what I want to say to us this morning. If I passed this microphone around and said, tell me all the things you have seen God do, we would not leave until Labor Day was over. Yeah. About all the testimonies of the magnificent and powerful and life-changing things Yahweh has done on behalf of us. And yet still, we find ourselves like Mary, Martha, and his, and, and his hiding disciples too many times, don't we? If you'd have been here, if you'd have done this, if you'd have done that, if you'd have done it my way, God, if you'd have done it my way, if you'd done what I wanted, and it grieves his heart. Listen to me, listen to me. I, uh, compassion. Does Jesus have compassion? 100%. But this is not a, an, an instance of compassion. This isn't, he was sad. It said he was sad. 
Sadness is not compassion. Sadness is grief. He's grieved in his spirit because he cannot find the closest people to him who have faith. That's what's grieving him. Y'all know me better than this. That makes sense? She's not here, so I'm going to tell this story. She was here, I probably wouldn't tell this story. Cindy Vaughn, Raylan's really great friend. It's like three weeks ago. Her 30-something, how old was he? 41-year-old son commits suicide. Devastating. Devastating. Funeral was on Friday or Saturday? Friday. Sunday morning, she's here. Lacey was leading worship. I'll never forget this as long as I live. Lacey's leading worship. And about two songs in, she gets up out of her seat, comes down to the front, stands right here, and lifts both hands and worships God. Lacey's up there. She's trying to sing. She's like, Jesus. Right? You remember that? She's breaking down. She's crying. I'm over there, tears running down my face. Because most people don't know what she's going through, but I know what she's going through. And I thought to myself, I'm not sure, I'm not sure there's greater pain than that. And the only logical response is to go to the man I love and to lift my hands and to tell him how awesome he is. That's faith. Doesn't mean she's perfect every day. Doesn't mean she has her ups and downs. But she knows the only place she can go that he has the words of life. So she goes to Jesus. She lifts her hand. And those are, this is this powerful moment. And this is what's grieving Jesus' heart in this moment. Is there's 15 people on this planet. This, at this time, let's say there's a billion people on the planet. There's 15 people on this planet of a billion people that should know me better than anybody else. And they still don't get who I am. Right? That's why he's sad. That's why he's weeping. Doesn't mean he doesn't love them. Doesn't mean he's not concerned about the situation. He's obviously concerned about the situation. But more than anything else, this is going to make God sound like an egotistical maniac, and he's not. He's not a man. He is the son of the living God. More than anything else, he's concerned about the glory of God on the earth. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. One of the ways I know uh, also that, that, that uh, look at me, one of the ways I know also that it, he wasn't weeping over Lazarus is because people with no discernment and no spirit of God living inside of him didn't discern the situation correctly. They normally don't. Everybody know Job's friends? Right, okay. Let's keep on going. Some of them said, this is the same people that said, oh, see how they loved him. Now they're going to turn their hand over and start backbiting. Jesus. Well, you know, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Well, of course he could have. But he can also do something even after he dies. This way, there's greater glory. That's what Jesus is concerned about, glory. Verse 38, so Jesus again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Stone was lying against it. Now let's set the scene one final time. Set the scene one final time. Jesus is standing there. They're, at a, they're in a, a, a cemetery. They're in a graveyard. This is not the most pleasant place to be in the world, right? Especially if you're Jewish. If you touch that, you're unclean, right? He's standing there. He's surrounded by 12 disciples who are hiding behind the headstones looking for people who might come and throw rocks at any second. There is a crowd of paid people to stand around and mourn and wail. They're crying and whining, and he can hear them backbiting. Well, well, couldn't he have done something about this? Why 
they couldn't, where was he at when he's, right? And that's what he hears. This is the sound. This is the environment that he's operating in. Mary and Martha are there. They're weeping. They're, they're torn. They're back and forth between faith and not, right? And they're just torn. And they're like, they're like uh, that. Jesus talks about that being in the, uh, tossed to and fro in the waves, right? And they're just in this gut-wrenching situation. And Jesus finally, he's going to rise up. And he's going to say, remove the stone. And when Jesus has moved the stone, everybody says, stop. Hold up. If you do that, we will smell him. How many of y'all, Jesus wanted to do something miraculous in your life and never said, hold up. Is it going to smell bad? Of course. I'm not sure we should do that, Jesus. Right? There's always excuses. That means that a lot of excuses will keep you in a dead situation. Faith will cause the dead to live again. Remove the stone, Martha. The sister of the deceased said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench for he's been, I don't think she said very politely, like he's been dead four days. She says it as one more little jab. You know he's been dead four days, right? Remember? You're supposed to be here. Remember? Passive aggressive Martha. <laughs> Jesus said to her, verse 40, everybody go to Hot Springs and get this tattooed on your arm. Yeah, that, <laughs> everybody's like, hmm. I'm kidding. Verse 40, everybody needs to memorize this first. Get it tattooed in your brain. Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? This verse right here is one of my favorite single verses in the entire scripture because it always brings me back to what absolutely is essential. It's not what I say. It's what does he say. And can I get myself to agree with what he says? Regardless of what I see, regardless of all this noise that I hear, regardless of this entire situation, everything looks 100% backwards. Everything looks 100% as uh, the opposite that you said it was going to go. You said this situation would not end in death. Here we are at a graveyard, and there's a dead man inside, and he stinks. This is not what you said was going to happen. And Jesus says to them, "It did I not say to you? How many of y'all need God to come, every once in a while come down and just grab your attention, grab you by the face and say, did I not tell you? Did I not say to you? If you would believe me, you would see something that would glorify God on the earth. <laughs> so what are we after? Are we after him to feel loved and cozy? That's going to happen sometime. Or does our hearts burn that when God comes down, the glory of God is displayed? I want to be where the glory of God is. Now look at me. In the glory of God, I will feel loved. I will feel, I said koozie. I don't know what that means, but it's good. It's like a jacuzzi and a cup holder at the same time. A jacuzzi, okay? But I want to be where the glory of God is. It's like I'm filled with glory. I'm filled with awe. But look at me sometimes. Look at me right here. Look at me right here. There was also times in the scripture when the glory of God came and people died. Because the glory is in the basis of love and fluff. And I'm saying all love is fluff. The glory is in the basis of love. The glory is the glory of when everybody comes and is aware of who God is, then God gets to be in control. God gets to be the man. He gets to call the shots. He gets to say what's going to happen. When God's the center, when God's the center, then everything changes and everything's different. And the wildest dream, uh, I, I will say it this way, you have, uh, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor had to enter the heart of man what's in store for those who will believe in him and follow after him. When the glory comes, everything changes. And you can have really good theology and you can be really close to Jesus but still miss the glory. And there's only one thing that separates those who are close with glory and close with good re- religion. What do you believe? Where's our faith? If he said it, do I believe it? 
Danny and I talked about this a long time the other day. If he said it, do I believe it? And sometimes what I need is not some professional mourners to come to identify with me how bad the situation is. Sometimes I need some men and women of God to come upside of me and say, hey, 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 I know this is bad right now, but this is what Jesus said. Let's all believe together. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven. (laughs) This is so funny. This is hilarious. I was texting the words people this morning, this passage of scripture, and Jim uh, Parrish is in that group, and he said, uh, this is the one example when Jesus prays but preaches to people. And I thought, that makes me feel better about myself. How many of y'all do that when you pray, but you're kind of talking to everybody else in the room too? You know what I'm talking about? Jesus looked his eyes to heaven. He's praying and says, Father, thank you that you've heard me. Y'all need to get sarcastic Jesus in your mind right now. Okay. Thank you, Father, that you heard me. I knew. I knew it. These people didn't know. I knew it. You always hear me. Are you convinced that every time you go to God, He hears you? Are there sometimes the message didn't get through? Or sometimes He's just not paying attention? Jesus was convinced that every time He prayed to God, heaven heard His prayer. And so that's what he needed. All he needed was the assurance that God hears him. And if God hears him, then everything's going to be okay. It may not look like the way I think it's going to look, but if God hears me, it's all going to, the glory of God will come in the end. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it. (laughs) This is funny, right? No? Okay. (laughs) Jesus is like, I I know it, but I'm saying this because everybody else is standing here today. So that they may, everybody say it, that they may. What's, what's, what's the point of the Lazarus story? Belief. Faith. Taking Jesus at his word. What's the first thing he said? That's, uh, that, uh, the first thing he said can very well, might as well be the last thing he said because that's it. This sickness will not end in death. So that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man, and a dead man walked. And nobody, look at me, at this point, At this point, nobody's asking this question. Well, I thought he loved me. See, when the glory comes, the love question is instantly answered. I thought he loved me. If you're struggling with love between you and God, it's a, it's a, the belief is the struggle. It's not does he, it's do you believe he does? Are you convinced of it? When you speak, he hears you. And what he wants is his glory. And when his glory climbs, everything else is okay. Everything else is okay when his glory comes. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped up with the cloth. And Jesus said, Untie that man and let him go. And, and here we are over 2,000 years later still talking about a man who was dead, but now he's alive. Well, he died again, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Lazarus. Because the story is about glory. Say it with me. The story, story. is about, about glory. glory. Here we are. Not that, hey, I don't think we're dead by any means. But here we are at another milestone in our church's timeline. And I really think there's just one question Jesus has. Did I not say 
if you would believe, you would see. That's that this whole point of this worship set today and this communion today is like, if you'll get your eyes off everything else and focus on me, the glory can come. And when the glory comes, every other question gets answered. Y'all out there? When the glory comes, every other question gets answered. I want so bad to look him in the eye and say, I take you at your word. How many of y'all want that too? If you've been in this room and you've been saved for 50 years, that's awesome. That is great. I'm not downplaying that at all. Here's the point I'm trying to say this, this morning. If these were the 15 people closest to Jesus on the planet, but yet there was still something blocking the way they completely, the, the complete revelation of who he was. Does that make sense? I don't really, I think the good way to put this staple on this day is let's go back all the way back around to that first love concept and let's pretend this is the first time we ever met him and we're taking him simply at his word and let's maybe even unlearn a bunch of stuff we thought we learned and let's take him at his word, let's take him who he is and let's fall in love with Jesus and let's see his glory come. Amen? Stand up on your feet. It's been a good day at the armory. I want you to go home and I want you to relax and I want you to have a wonderful Monday off and I want you to be restored in your body, soul, and in your spirit. And I want you to just to uh, go out of this place and attack the next few weeks with faith and belief. Amen? Raise your hand right now if you're going through something that is a serious situation. Maybe it's not quote-unquote life and death, but a serious situation. Just raise your hand all across this place. I want to pray for everybody. I especially want to pray for you. Father God, we pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would settle our hearts. First of all, God, there's lots of other voices. There's professional people who, uh, mourners who may tell us all kinds of stuff. The people speaking into our situation. I pray, God, that every other voice would be calm and quiet and that we would hear the voice of the Lord. I also pray right now, God, that we would know what your will is for our situations. There would be no doubt. There would be no, uh, I'm praying right now that if we need it, that you would speak to us plainly. I pray in the name of Jesus that we would believe what you say, even if our situation doesn't look like what you said. I pray that we would be people that wouldn't shrink back, that wouldn't let go of the rope, But God, that you would keep us in perfect peace as our minds and our hearts are on you. I pray, God, that the revelation of who you are, that you are the resurrection and the life, that that revelation would not leave us alone. That when we quiet our minds and we lay our heads on our pillows at night that we would hear the still small whisper of the spirit saying I am the resurrection I am the life that our faith would be built and that we would see the glory of God in our situations in Jesus name everybody said amen I will see you Wednesday night and I'll see you next Sunday God bless you